Welcome to What Has My Attention, and this is John Beethan, and Infertility Has My Attention. This episode was recorded in early September 2022. The last episode released, How Trust Builds Business, was released in November of 2022. So what happened since November 2022, and why the pause? Well, I've had some health issues and decided to focus on taking care of myself as much as possible while still taking care of clients. And I'm just now getting back closer to 100% or more of myself. A lot has happened in the last few years since early 2020, and I hope you're well and taking good care of yourself and those you care about. We do have several shows in the can. Those include Destigmatizing Neurodivergent in the Workplace with Jamie Martin and Heather Wagner, Championing Your Boundaries with Nicole Guberman, and that episode was originally titled Champion Your Boundaries in 2022, but that deadline passed, and How to Hack Your People, Helping Others Navigate Change with Deborah Gilboa and Patricia Chiano. And now, a conversation about infertility. Welcome, everyone. And I really wanted to give a special welcome to Jamie Martin and an associate of hers, Christy Huber. And, you know, I want to let everybody know before I let them introduce themselves that, you know, basically this channel is really about elevating women's voices to be heard and specifically women in strong leadership. That would be these two, quite frankly. And uh, so I asked I asked Jamie to bring somebody else on because she wanted to come back on. You can cruise through whathasmyattention.com and see she's been on twice before. You can just do a search from the episode page and uh, she'll pop right up. But I asked her to, uh, hey, bring somebody on and have a conversation with this person about a topic that you want to talk about. It's not my agenda. It's yours. So you landed, you both landed on infertility. And I am really, really proud to present you both. And um, so just give us a little idea, just a short idea about who you are. Sure. I'll go first. Uh, I'm Jamie Martin. I am a life and leadership coach who really focuses in on helping women who have been going and going and going for so long that they've, they forgot who they are. And partnering together, we allow them to start to step into their own power and do all the uncomfortable things they've always dreamt of doing or didn't realize they had in the back of their their brain waiting for um and infertility is a, a dear dear topic of mine i've my son came through a couple ivf processes and currently if you hear my voice crack at all during this it's because i'm in the middle of one so hormones are raging at the moment as we speak. <laughs> so that's a little bit about me. And hi, I'm Christy Huber. Um, and like Jamie, unfortunately, have struggled with infertility. I'm a marketer with over 12 years of experience. I've worked with both B2B and B2C marketing um, at startups to Fortune 500 companies. And also thankful to say I'm a, a proud mom and wife. And I'm also an avid runner and running coach. But excited to be here, and thanks for having us, John. Yeah, you're welcome. So both of you, what made you to decide this topic? Was it because of personally something, what you're going through, or do you, or was it just that, you know what, we need to talk about this? 
Well, for me, one thing that I know is that when I was going through the first part of infertility, it was such a silent journey. And I intentionally opened up to people about it because I was looking for support. And what I found was that there were a lot of people who, after the fact, were willing to say, oh, yeah, we went through it, but were very zipped during their whole process. And it's unfortunate that that's the case because it is such a grueling experience and it's long and it it shouldn't feel like you have to be silent about it. And so one of my missions outside of coaching is to really bring a voice to infertility, both the couples that are going through it, but also the support people around them. And how do they actually start to associate to this experience in a way that truly helps and lifts somebody up? Yeah, and I would second Jamie. Um, unfortunately, we're going through our second round of infertility, I would say, you know, trying to conceive a second child. And my husband and I were both very private about it the first time. And like Jamie said, I think that that in some ways just made it even harder and more stressful. You you can only get the support that you reach out and seek. So I think um, on our current journey, I've been a little bit more public about it, not extremely, but at the same time, um, I'm finding it's been a much less stressful experience. And I just think that talking about it really, really helps. Yeah. Christy, for you, what would you say was the biggest thing that like supported you when you were going through it? Um. In terms of at work, it was having at least one trusted coworker that I knew that I could confide in. And if I was having a really rough day, just someone there to lift me up. And then honestly, same in my personal life, trying to find those one or two people that you know that you can call. And unfortunately, when you're really, really private about it and you don't have those people, it is, it's rough and it can start to feel really isolating. So I think that that's what I would say. Yeah, definitely. I would say one, I just remember um, this one day I had, I had about three, well, I had about four or five people at the office who knew. And one day I heard that my brother and sister-in-law were pregnant and we had just gotten a, you know, another notice that we weren't pregnant and I'm bawling at my desk. And the one friend who knew she came in and she's like, Oh, we're getting you out of here. And she took me for a walk and she just let me cry and just let me cry. And it was, you know, I think the hard part with being in the corporate world when we're, you're going through this is is having that person or people where you're like, Ooh, you're hearing all of this during the day. Yeah, well, I would completely agree. And having that person too, like, you know, you made me think of a, a situation where we used to have a lot of baby showers in our office. You know, having that one person that knows, that person can check on you later and be like, are you okay? Or do you need an excuse to not attend this today? And it can make the world of difference. Oh, yeah. I remember my my therapist saying to me, say no to all baby showers. <laughs> just don't go. Say no to Mother's Day. Do not go. Like, just lay it out for people so they, they know. Um. One thing that I, I know, and I, I run into this with support people, Christy, is that most people don't understand infertility. How would you describe it? Yeah, I, I think about it how we all have different friends and different coworkers that are great at different things. And it's taken me kind of you know, years to figure out actually which friends and family members I can rely on best in terms of infertility. And you do find those people. So I shy away from talking about it to people that I know either just 
don't understand it or don't want to try to understand it. Um, but the people who, the people in my life who have asked me questions, checked up on me. Um, I even have a friend who, you know, I feel like she's done her own research for me and she's, she's curious. And I think those are the people that you really need to rely on. Yeah, definitely. I love, I love that there's somebody who's curious about it in, in your space. I, you know, for me, I, what I noticed is that I have one friend who's a nurse, so she knew she doesn't know a ton about infertility, but she knew enough to, for me to be like, hey, so the shot I have to take, what am I doing? <laughs> How do I do this? You know, and she she would be there for it. But also she ended up taking it on herself to learn more about infertility and what we were going through. And it was such it's so nice because I felt like everybody else I had to educate and I was being educated at the same time. And so it was so hard to be like, well, this is why. And then be asked another question. You're like, I don't know. I'm not the doctor. <laughs> I'm just following no. through on the orders. I would agree. And I would say too that I'm glad that I've taken the time to educate some close family members and friends because then I think they've been able to be a better rock of support and empathize a little bit more where sometimes I think that people just really don't know. They don't know the the time, the resources, the energy that it takes and the number of appointments, the amount of medication they're on um, that you're on. And I think that it's just that lack of knowledge of the process that sometimes makes people, you know, be a potentially a little bit more dismissive um, or act like it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because it, it, it's, it's actually a short period of time that you're on the most intense drugs. So I'm in the middle of it right now. Um, I started four days ago and whew, like I said earlier, if I crack up, it's because the hormones are all over, but I'll, I'll probably only be on it for another week. But this short period of time is so intense, so emotional, and the lead up to it is is scary. You know, I, I looked at my husband on what was it on Sunday. I said, "I'm scared." Couldn't tell you what this fear was about, but it's just like, "Oh, I'm scared to do this again." Yeah, just like the anticipation of knowing what you're about to go through again, and. I feel like in my situation, like there's pros and cons to having been through it before, because like the very first time you do it, like if somebody's listening to this podcast and they're just starting their infertility journey, you know, in a way, I almost think one of those first rounds is easier because you don't know what you're in for. But then, you know, sometimes the second and third, you know what you're about to encounter. And I think that that's where having that support in your life or, I think everyone handles it differently. Some people like to just go full steam ahead and try to continue to do the things that they normally do. And other times you might want to decline all invites and just lay low for a while. I think I've approached it both ways, to be honest. Yeah, I know. I definitely have. I've definitely done the all in and then the oof, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to check out of the world for a period of time. Um, the last time I actually had COVID, we were in the middle of, and, and this is, I think this is, it's an important topic to have right now is that, you know, with COVID and everything being lax, more lax, more relaxed, I don't know what the right word is, but um, we don't realize what that impact can do to somebody else. And my husband and I were doing, we were pretty much shut down other than taking my son to gymnastics class or to the library. All three of us got, got sick with COVID and ended up, I, it's, had two weeks worth of medicine in this two weeks 
was a full waste because we couldn't actually do anything after that. So I went through all of the medicine, all of the drugs, all the ups and downs with, with COVID at the same time. And so it's just kind of a call out to, to say, you know, have a, we, we as a society, society need to have a little bit more empathy for the people who cannot go and just live life again. Yeah, definitely. I, I would completely agree. It has caused me to be a lot more cautious. There's been things that I've had to decline. There's been work travel that I've had to decline due to the same exact problem of you're investing so much time, resources into the medication, into the treatment that the last thing you need is unfortunately to get COVID. And I'm so sorry to hear that you went through that. Um, Let yeah. me just say taking shots with COVID, I'm still like in trauma mode because your, your body is so much more sensitive. I didn't realize it until this second, this, this round right now, but wow, was I sensitive to my whole body. Even the phlebotomist was like, Jamie, you never cringe. What's going on with you? And it, it, it didn't occur to me until this time where I was like, COVID, COVID had to have been doing enough to my body that I was, ah, yeah, don't poke me again. Don't poke me. <laughs> No, I agree. I can't even imagine the only on that topic. I think you know one of the only the only pros or silver linings to COVID in my situation, anyways, and maybe for some others would relate is that I have found that now I am working from home. Whereas the first time I dealt with infertility, I was in an office space, and I can say this time it is so much less stressful, just not having to rush to so many appointments and then back to the office. But again, that's one of the only pros of right, the right. situation. <laughs> well, how do you think like kind of going off of that, how did infertility impact your your work and your husband's work life? That is such a great question. I was actually asking his take on it. And I mean, he he agreed that like we were we were both much more private with it the very, the first time around. So four years or so ago, and this time we've been a little bit more open about it and that has made it easier. Um, I think that of course men are more hesitant to share and they generally don't have to because a lot of the appointments don't impact them. He's only probably shared with a, a couple, you know, trusted people. But like you said, then that's when people come out of the woodwork saying like, oh, me too. I've also been through this. And even he has found that. I feel like he's, you know, been to business dinners or in meetings where somehow it's come up. Maybe the other person's mentioned it or he has. And just knowing you're not alone is really, really helpful, both, you know, personally and in your work life. Um, but I would say in terms of impacting work, I think that it's, you know, taken me some time to realize how to handle it. And I think that, you know, I try not to think in black and white. I think that you can be really successful at work and be successful navigating your infertility journey. It just, you really have to prioritize and figure out in your mind, you know, how to look at it. So I think the first time I went through it, I was just, trying to do many too many things at once. I was trying to never miss a meeting, never reschedule something. And I didn't want anyone to know. Obviously that route, that approach did not work very well for me. Um, this time around, I was honest with a few people that I work with, let them know what was going on. And, you know, not to say that I prioritize infertility first, but in a sense, like 
those doctor's appointments and those early morning blood work and lab appointments, they, they do have to come first. But then I try to get that out of the way and then move on with my work day. And I have found that in a way, if approached correctly, work can really be a great distraction because it is something that you have more control over and you know, you can still celebrate the wins in the meantime that you're having at work as a, a successful leader. And, you know, unfortunately, infertility, you know, it really can be life limiting and it can you can have some times where you're just feeling really down and depressed. But sometimes I do lean on work to remind myself like, OK, there are still some really great things going on in my life and I need to still focus and celebrate those. Yeah, well, off of that, you know, what, how did you actually manage lifting yourself up when work itself was part of the thing that was weighing you down? <laughs> that, that, I mean, that's, let's be frank, that happens a lot. <laughs> that is true. When both things are going well, then that's another story. Um, I am very thankful that the company that I work at right now has unlimited PTO and offers several mental recharge days throughout the year. And I know, Jamie, you and I have talked about this before. I can't stress enough that like if you're, um, you know, looking into a, new, a next career move or a new job, I think looking at benefits like those is actually really, really important because I have found it super helpful. I tend to not take enough days off, but I can say that I have taken a day off during this infertility journey where I really needed it. And sometimes you do just need to recharge before you can be the best version of yourself again. Yeah, definitely. And I love, I love thinking about, you know, if we're, I mean, kind of pivoting into the financial piece of this, because I don't think, you know, everybody knows generally they have this vague idea, infertility is expensive. Um, and yet there are places where it's super supported and benefits are great. You know, Illinois, you and I were talking about this the other day, we were I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm super grateful for being in, in Illinois because Illinois is one of 12 states, I think it's 12, that actually require employers of certain sizes to provide four IVF cycles, which is incredible. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that's really almost a whole year worth because you, the time between cycles um, you know, we think we have 12 months, but when it comes to IVF, it's actually a cycle can take anywhere between six to eight weeks. And so you're pretty much like at a, every quarter being able to do it. And so it's important to, if you're looking for a job to know, hey, this is what the, the law requires in, in this state and asking for those benefit packages. Yeah, I would agree. I was actually looking up some stats before this and found that 33% of Americans are now saying they've turned to fertility treatments or know someone who has. So I would just say I would really recommend digging deep into the fertility benefits a company offers before accepting a new role. I know that it can be an awkward question to ask, but there's some different ways that you can word it. Um, so that it's you know not quite as blatant what you're asking about but at the same time you do need to know and i know that most people don't think like this but like if you're a woman and you're thinking about you know having a child freezing your eggs any of those considerations it's it's something that you really should consider along with finding out what the maternity and paternity leave coverage is but, you know, along that financial route that we're talking about, I just I wish that 
employers would think long and hard about the fertility coverage that they offer within their insurance benefits because it's so important to such a large number of people at this point. And I think also that companies that are trying to say that they embrace diversity and inclusion, if they're not providing the support and covering this, then they really aren't embracing diversity and inclusion because this is a topic that is including a lot of people at this point. Yeah, I love that. I got chills by by hearing that because it's so, so true. And, you know, to look at it from that bigger picture of saying, hey, it's not just, you know, us in, in a heterosexual relationship, but people who are same sex and, mm-hmm. and want to have a, have a family, you know, and how they go about it. And they, you know, somebody in that, that couple might want to experience, you know, the pregnancy themselves or, or they might have a surrogate. And, and how does a company actually support that? The, the other piece too is is understanding as an employer, I think it's so critical to understand what truly the finances are that you're offering. Because the thing that my husband and I hit up against is that the way that our account is, is our benefit is, is that we have a, a drug allotment and then we also have a procedure allotment. Well, the drug allotment is only $1,000. I'm gonna let that sink in there for you, Christy. For which those is, of you, go ahead. I was gonna say, which is just a drop in the bucket of what you ultimately need, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, we we got quoted for one cycle. It was close to thirty k, and we wiped you know we wiped out that thousand dollars immediately. Um, whereas the the procedural cost, yes, it's still high. But some some states and some providers aren't as high as the drugs are. And so it's it's important to understand the logistics of what's going on in terms of what does what does it look like to truly embrace and support couples in their fertility journey, you know, and through their whole parenthood journey. And how does that show up so that you can ease it? Because the thing that I noticed is when as at my during my last IVF cycle, we were with Illinois Insurance, and I couldn't tell you how much we spent. No idea, because it was so beautifully covered, and it actually relieved a whole pressure. So now I was able to actually function a little bit better at work because I wasn't sitting there going, how are we going to pay for this? What are we going to do? Like nitpicking. Um, and it was having that was actually a gift. And once I left that company and had my son, I actually sent the CEO a note later, and I said, I just want to thank you. Thank you for for being able to provide that type of coverage for us because that was so such a huge gift. That's great that you did that because I hope that employers do know that like when they can provide that, how meaningful it is um, because it's just, it's so stressful. Another thing that I was looking up was saying that um, there is such a large majority of people that are saying that they have symptoms of depression Um, and anxiety when going through infertility. And I agree with you that if that is one burden that can be taken off of us, it makes a huge, huge difference. And I guess the other thing I would say is that like the, the mental health toll is much greater than many people realize. But if companies can, you know, on the other side of it, I think that say you are a leader listening to this and thinking about 
supporting your employees, like regardless of what the company can do insurance wise, I think providing the flexibility and, you know, time off needed is also super, super helpful and really valuable. And I've, I've thanked people that I've worked for and with in a similar way, because I, I, I recognize that it's taking time out of the day, but it's something that's really important. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because I, I think, you know, we often talk about it from the female side and being a coach, I always, you know, look at my husband. I'm like, so what's going on with you? Um, because you, since we are taking all the hormones, we do tend to need more support. But what I found is early on, I was leaning in on him and I had to pull away a little bit and say, wait a second, he can't be my only rock. So I'm curious for you, like, how did, how did um, your husband and you navigate that piece of things and, and him feeling supported it? That's a great point. I would agree with you that I needed to make sure that he wasn't my only rock. And I feel like the first time that we navigated this, that is the way that I approached it. But he was struggling too. It's it's really hard for both people. Um, and I think that finding those those couple people that you can rely on and talk to about it helps and and spreading it out a little bit like maybe not just having one person that you're calling all the time but spread the love across a couple different friends and family and you know the more people that you do end up opening up to you're going to find more people that have experienced it because unfortunately we were debating this earlier i don't know if it's more common or we just know more people that are going through it because we've opened up but i feel like i now have several people in my life that have also dealt with infertility who are also leaders in the workplace that I can reach out to for advice and for help. And that makes a big difference. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is one in eight couples will go through infertility. Um, So there is that element that it's, it's, and the number changes. Like I think over the last two years, it started shifting to maybe, maybe being one in seven. So it's not a surprise that we're, we're seeing more and more of this. How would you say, you know, I've thought about support in a lot of ways in the sense of I, I figured out that for me, I needed support from different people in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that looked like I have one person who I know can give me the bear hug I need. I have the cheerleader. So if I need it, if I need someone to cheer me on, I've got that person. How would you say that like you would recommend a leader who finds out that somebody's going through infertility should handle offering support? That is a great question. Um, I'm very thankful to say that I've worked for several people who have approached this very well. So luckily I've seen good role models. I think it's just, you know, if the person mentions it, like if they open up about it, being willing to talk about it and maybe just kind of have a more generic check-in from time to time. Like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And letting the person lead with how open or, you know, private they want to be about it. Because I think it depends on the individual. That That's what's helped me. Yeah, definitely. I, I love that, like letting them lead. I would say, actually, the, the thing that I, I typically ask people or when I'm talking with people who are going through infertility is to say, you know, or I backtrack that my, my brain just went into the, you know, shortcut. Um, when people ask me how to handle support, both from the, I know somebody who's going through this, what do I do? And I always say, ask them, 
what do you need? Do you need me to check in on you every day? Do I, do you need me to sit back and wait for you to approach me? Because I, I know for me, I needed people to reach out. It was so important to me to not have to be the one to always bring it forward and to be the one to feel like I, like I need something from you, <laughs> right? In this moment, I'm really struggling, but I don't want to bring it forward. It was great to have somebody who it was like, oh, they knew all they had to do was show up and say, how are you? How's it going? What do you need from me right now? And then I, I, I actually relieved the burden of having to ask. And so yeah. this time around, I actually specifically asked a few people, I said, I'm going through this. This is what I need from you. I love that, Jamie. I think I'm going to use that piece of advice. Um, but you did make me think, too, that, like, I think that this can also still be done in a remote world because I work in a remote culture. I have a couple of coworkers that know about our journey and have even just reached out via Slack and said, you know, how's your day going? And then left it up to me if I wanted to elaborate on what was going on in fertility wise or something else. And I think it's just a good thing to remember in general that you never know what someone's struggling with in their day to day. And if something seems off about them at work, maybe as a leader, take the moment to check in after that meeting and just say like, hey, you didn't seem quite like yourself. Is everything okay? I love that. The, the check-in, the see what's going on. And, and this is going beyond even just talking about infertility. Infertility is just a conduit for that. But like, we can think about all of the things that people are going through. And, you know, somebody asked me the other day what my philosophy in coaching was. And I, I, I said, it's holistic. Because when we work on our personal lives, we're working on our professional lives. The things that impact our personal lives impact our professional and vice versa. You know, so by trying to separate the two out, we're, we're doing ourselves a disservice. And I really do think that the more we can start to accept and fully show up at work with whatever is going on, that we can actually open doors to more creativity, more innovation, and quite frankly, more humanity. Yeah, definitely. I know that I think that going through this has made me much more empathetic as a leader and a coworker to what people have going on in their personal lives. And like, you know, it's true now more than ever that, like you said, you know, we're showing up to work as our whole selves, a lot of us, especially in a remote environment. And I think that there's actually a lot of pros to that. You know, when you are working in a remote environment, people are kind of in your home with you during the day and you end up sometimes sharing more than you would if you were at an office. So I think that this is applicable in either setting, but it has made me much more empathetic and understanding that, you know, people have all kinds of challenges that they're dealing with on top of their normal workday. Yeah. And some of those challenges are going to be shorter and some of them are going to be more acceptable to talk about. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's, that's the piece that that I would like to really highlight is that infertility isn't something that has been opened up about, right? Infertility and miscarriages are very big taboo conversation topics because people don't want to have that conversation. They don't want to understand it. Um, and the more we can talk about it, the more we can actually create the support structure people need to navigate it. You know, just imagine if, if, people who are going through cancer didn't say a word. 
and had to show up at work every day in that same place. And now I'm not saying that cancer and infertility are, are equal struggles, I'm not saying that at all, but you can see that it's a little easier. I would say it's a little easier to have that conversation with your boss when it's as, as severe as cancer is than it is to say, I'm, I'm going through this thing over here to create a family, um, which I think you and I talked about this too, is that struggle of how much do you want to tip your hand that you're, you're going to be creating a family and, and the stigma around, especially as women, what happens once you have a, a child? Yeah, I, I still have a, a challenge with that one and a struggle because I think that once you open up and share that you are going through infertility, then in the back of my mind has always been like, okay, well, is my leadership going to think then like, oh, well, I need to plan for her to be on maternity leave in a couple months. And how is that going to impact my potential upward mobility at the company? I've had to really push down that thought, fear, and anxiety, and try to believe the best in people and believe that, you know, no one would actually take that into, into their thought process. And I think that that's where I've just relied on my work showing proof for itself and reminding myself that, like, I'm bringing the, my very best version of myself to work 95% of the time. That other 5% might be on days where there's some <laughs> infertility issues going on, but that my work speaks for itself and that, you know, someone, you know, a good leader, a good employer would not, you know, penalize me for that in any sort of way. And if they did, then maybe that's not a company I should be working at. So I've decided the risk of sharing um, is worth the reward of potentially having more support. Yeah. What do you think was you know, kind of going off of the, the risk of sharing, what do you think is the thing that actually infertility gave you as a leader yourself outside of empathy? Because we talked about empathy already a little bit. Yeah, I, that's a great question, Jamie, and I can't wait to hear your answer too. But I would say resiliency and mental toughness. I mean, I think that those are two topics that people have talked a lot about during the pandemic as a whole. But when I really think about going through infertility, um, it just made me a tougher, stronger person and a better leader. And that, you know, sometimes also you have to laugh about it to get through it. I think even just the topic of this podcast, like I, I, when I find out that somebody is struggling with infertility and silence now, it makes me really sad because I think that the more you can talk about it, um, it's helpful. And you find other people to talk to that are going through something similar or something different, but they understand. And it, I mean, sadly to say is like, it's kind of cliche, but like the journey makes you stronger. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I would say for me, and I love that resil the resilience piece because it, it really does resonate in that sense of like, I mean, I told my husband this morning, it's like, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this again. Um, and those are the thoughts that are going through my head right now, right? Like I, I can't make this happen. I'm, I just want to curl up and, you know, I'm running a business and I want to curl up on the couch and do nothing um, until this is over. But I can't do that. So the that muscle of resilience and how you actually build it is so critical. And I, you know, that's one of the things that when I think about 
as a coach, I think about how we start to build those muscles before we need it. And unfortunately, <laughs> resilience is likely one of those, is often one of those things where it's, it's thrust upon us, right? Um, but the lesson I really took that I think was so critical for me in stepping in even further into my leadership was surrender. It was, I mean, I spent a year pra really practicing what surrender looks like because as an engineer, and a product manager, I wanted to control everything, right? So I wanted everything to be nice and lined up and this is how you do things and this is this is the process you follow. Um, but with infertility, I, I really did two things. One being I chose not to get into the science of it because I knew that was gonna be a boundary that was gonna drive me crazy. If I knew every hormone level and chart, because I'm a charter, I'm a, I'm a spreadsheet person, I would have charted all of it and I chose intentionally to step back from that because I was like, that's gonna drive me crazy. I'm gonna research the living daylights out of this and it's gonna be, and then I'm gonna question my doctor. And I wanted to be in partnership with her. I wanted to question for the right reasons, not because I, was, I had doubt. Um, but in releasing that control, it also gave me the gift of realizing that I can still take action towards the outcome I want, even if I can't control the outcome occurring. And that is so key, I think, as a leader to be able to say, I cannot just make this thing happen, right? I just think of all the strat plans, I, sessions I've been in and the, the grand vision and the, we're gonna make this happen. And then, you know, two months into it, everybody's like, where did that strat plan go, right? <laughs> I know you've experienced this, Christy. And it's, it's one of those where it's like, okay, so how do we take the steps forward and still let go of where the outcome is? Because the outcome that we're driving towards may not be the right one for us. And if we only look in that one direction, then the opportunity might actually that we are supposed to go through may actually shut. That is such a good point. And Jamie, I give you so much credit for doing this podcast today because you're right in the middle of it and it's just so hard sometimes. But I have really, I've had a challenge with that too because I'm a planner, type A personality. I have a plan A, B, and C and I have it all laid out in my mind of how I think it's gonna go. And unfortunately, fertility just doesn't work that way. And I think it's also been a good reminder um, it's taught me that there might be multiple paths to get you to your end goal, not just in life or in work, but the same with infertility. Like you might be set on a certain doctor and that just doesn't work out or set on a certain timeline, but insurance has other plans or, you know, just thinking about different family types and different family scenarios. When you talk to people like, you know, adoption, egg freezing, um, donors, like there are just so many different routes to the path that you're trying to get to. And I, I agree that's something else that I think I've learned through the process too. Yeah. And I would even say too, because I've been thinking about this a lot, is the, the, the unfortunate occurrence where it doesn't work. Because I do know people who they've gone through it and it didn't work. You know, they didn't end up with a child. But the gifts at the end can still show you where you're supposed to be and what you're who you're supposed to grow into and what you know what is it about motherhood or fatherhood or parenthood however you want to look at it 
that really appeals to you and you can still create that and still be intentional around how that shows up in your life, you know, and that's, that's one of the things that for me before we ended up pregnant with my son, I really had to work on was the, whew, what if I'm not a mom? What would it look like, you know, to not be mother in that way? And I saw there was a lot of different opportunities that I could still show up and use that part of me. Granted, all of my old coworkers would have been like, Jamie, you not as a mom is, is a crazy talk because they they laughed that every time a child came into the office, they were like, your ovaries just jumped out of your body. They were like, ah, my turn, my turn. <laughs> that is so true to like, you know, kind of think of these other potential options. And um, no, I mean, unfortunately, I I've heard that too. And you you see people that end up taking a different path to what it meant to them to build a family or be a mother or be a father. And it might not have been what they initially planned, but they found something that fulfilled them. And I think another thing that, you know, going through it in terms of what I have gained from it is I feel like I am a very grateful and present parent. Not to say that other people are not, um, but I don't take a moment for granted. And I know that that's hard to do and you know, there's toddler tantrums and bad days, but it, it was a journey to get here. And I'm just a very thankful parent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Cause I'm, I'm currently, because I'm going through the infertility process, it has been very hard also being parent at this point because I, you know, he's who knows, maybe the hormones are rubbing off on him, but he has been cranky all week long. And just with me, grandmas, beautiful people, babysitters, beautiful people. Mom, I don't like you. Yeah, no, I can feel that. I, I feel like, unfortunately, they they can feel our energy. And I noticed that in the last round that we went through that I, I felt like she was kind of clingy, but I think it was because I was kind of clingy to her. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I think there's like a magnetic force between mother and child. And probably the same when you're going through rounds before having kids, like with you and your spouse that you just feed off each other's energy. But yeah, there's a, there's a different challenge of going through infertility when you do have one child. I think that, you know, talking about, I guess, primary infertility and then secondary infertility, it is different. Um, I wouldn't say better or worse, but it is a different experience. Yeah, it is. It, you know, I, I read somebody saying that, you know, Sometimes you feel guilty going through it again because you feel like you're selfish for actually wanting another child. And I was like, I, I feel that. I can feel that space of, oof, am I just being selfish to try, try for more? Yeah. You know, yeah. and yet I take the step back and I look at my son and I'm like, you are not going to be an only child. That's no one disservice to him. <laughs> I think I would I would say this to someone who is just going through it or going through it for another time. Like in my personal experience, I wanted to at least try and know that I tried. And I would agree though. I I've had some of that, you know, guilt of like, we should just be thankful for what we have and just move on. But 
we decided it was worth a shot again. And same for someone going through it the first time. And kind of like you said earlier, I think even if you go through it and it doesn't work, at least at the end of the day, you know you tried and you might end up finding throughout that journey a different path that really is the way that you should be going. Yeah, definitely. Because you mentioned it earlier and it, it's probably a good thing to kind of lay out for people is that infertility isn't just IVF. It can be, you can have monitoring where you're doing natural, the natural process, or as my doctors like to say, natural relations. Um, but they're monitoring you. So they're saying you go now, um, or you can do natural with you know, trigger shots and you can do IUIs, which is basically artificial insemination. You can do, there's another type that I just learned about recently. Um, I think it's ART, but I don't remember what the acronym is. And then you can do you know, infertility, where it's you two together. Um, so you create the embryo as a couple, or you can have a surrogate for both the sperm or the embryo or the eggs. You can also have a surrogate for the, the embryo. You can actually have an embryo donated to you. And then you can get into adoption. You can have surrogacy. So there's a lot in this journey and everybody, even though it, it seems like it's very scientific, I feel like everybody I've talked to has had a very different experience of how that journey's unfolded for them and even what their what their doctors have said. Yeah, I agree. And I think that when you're if you're new to the journey, just starting out, you might think that IVF is the only option. And I remember feeling very afraid because I think it just sounds like such a scary term and such a big process. But I remember thinking like going through it like, okay, this isn't actually as bad as I thought it would be. Like I can do this. And it's just taking it one day at a time, one step at a time. And then asking your doctor what the options are. And like you said, like there are actually a lot of different things you can try before you even get to IVF. And, and then if you do IVF and it fails again, there's a lot of other different things that you can try. So I think that sometimes we get into thinking that there's just only one way and there's multiple, thankfully. Yeah. Well, and, and I know like what you said just hit something for me is that for, for my first first journey, it took us a really long time to get to IVF because I, I do terrible with hormones. I go straight into a depression. And even with the progesterone, the first time we took it, I was just like, I called the doctor and I was like, I can't do this. Dragging myself, dragging myself. And, um, I just remember so clearly this one point where my husband and I were meeting with the doctor and she was sitting with us going through all of our options. And I don't remember the conversation. I was so overwhelmed and dear, like in such a mental health state that I, I couldn't be present for it. And they, my husband and her both agreed. They were like, well, we're not going to do IVF until, you know, you have gone on antidepressant because it was, it, they just knew, and I knew it too. Like I knew it at that point, but I just, I wasn't cognizant enough to truly like get over that hump. And when we left, I was like, thank you. Thank you for both of you for kind of leading that, leading us to that place because I was, I was at a standstill. I just couldn't process anymore. I couldn't take in and make decisions for myself at that point. And it was so critical to move forward. And so I did want to highlight that because I, you know, you can get into a very depressive state during this process and it's important to a, as somebody who's going through it, acknowledge it, get supported, 
and and you know be okay with navigating it however you need to but on the flip side you know giving grace to the people who are going through these kind of journeys because it doesn't matter like you said earlier christy what what it is whether it's infertility or something else but everybody needs a little bit more grace in that place because the the trauma that they're experiencing is so critical and as at work i think it's so important because we we are a society where we're supposed to show up as professional and perfect and always on and and yet we're not and i think that's okay and it's okay to start to lean into being able to say i'm not going to be clear-headed today sorry i'm going to do the best i can and show up 100% the way I can today. I'm sorry. I just wanted to come into the conversation. I, I feel so blessed and honored to have you both here. And it just opens up a whole lot of things for me as well. Because I, I, I think I think this conversation, I, I, it needs to be heard. And it's much more than just about women. I mean, it's it's a society. And, uh, I, you know, the fact, Jamie, talking about sometimes just got to say, you know, right now, I'm not good. I'm yeah. having a hard time, you know. Yeah. And then I was thinking, you know, in terms of what you were also both talking about is, is uh, you know, how men approach this is really important. So important. Yeah. I mean, I, I looked at my husband and I kept saying, who's your support? Who's your support? Who's your support? Mm-hmm. And he's sitting right next to me and he's probably going to smack me upside the head. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I was like, you need somebody. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's the hard part is that for, for women, even though Christy and I both talked about how hard it was to open up, mm-hmm. it's a little easier, but for guys, it's just, it's, there's a hard, there's a harder boundary. There's a, I don't know. I mean, John, you might be able to point to it better than I can, but like, there's something about that process of opening up in this way that is difficult. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is, you know, regarding men is, I think men just need to drop some of the, a lot of programming and uh, be willing to do something new to, to, you know, to say in the Southwest, walk in another person's moccasins. Yeah, yeah. And I think I corporate, cor- corporate America really needs that right now. So needs it. It's not, it's not a healthy place, you know. And it's like if, you know, I'm working with somebody, whether it's remote or in an office, and, um, you know, it's like you said earlier, we don't really know what another person's going through. Haven't a clue unless you ask, are you okay? Well, and what's interesting too is, is I, I told Christy this story is that, and when they tell you, listen, because I, I actually opened up to two leaders at my last job and one of them was the CEO and he proceeded to say, well, I'm, you know, before a big meeting, he's like, I'm, I'm going to have to lay into you, Jamie, about something. I don't even remember what it was. And I looked up and was like, this is not the week to do it. Mm. It's not the week to do it. And he just looked at me. He's like, I'm, I'm still going to have to do it. And I said, no, <laughs> you're not. I cannot guarantee what my reaction will be. I can't guarantee that I won't yell, cry, throw something. <laughs> like I have no control over what my reaction will be. And my, my direct boss was in the room, John. And it was funny. Cause I like the look out of his face was like, <gasps> did you just say that? <laughs> and it was like, I did because I needed that boundary. Good for you. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, 
I share that because I think it's it's important in two ways. One, if somebody does tell you how they're doing and you want to lean in in a specific way, I think that the place to lean in is to ask them what they need. Yeah, that's what you talked about earlier. And honor it. I do want to wrap up. And yeah. uh, like I said, I'm really, really grateful. Is there anything anything you really wanted to cover either one of you? And honestly, we can do this again. You can bring on more people if you want to continue along these lines. Yeah. But I want to respect everyone's time, including mine. Um, I think the only thing that I, I would say is, Christy, we talked about this. What would you say the gift you received from IVF was or infertility was? Um. I think going back to that resiliency and mental toughness and just knowing that you can get through hard things, you can do hard things. But then also, I think for me, finding something that I enjoyed that was, you know, took my mind off both infertility and work, I would highly recommend that to anyone going through this. You know, it's like reading, exercise, art, music, kind of find something else that you like to do. Really I've been helps. doing cross stitch. Ooh. That's old school, one. old school, but beautiful. Yeah. And don't pressure yourself to like find your life's passion. Just find something fun you like to do. Yeah. Love it. Now, there was something you wanted to end with, or was that it? That no. was it. That was it. That's great. But I want to make sure everyone knows how to get in touch with each of you. And I generally accept you know, uh, recommend that people say just one way. So people start rattling off websites and social media. But, you know, on Instagram, it's this. But on Twitter, it's this. And it just gets confusing. But is there one way to get in touch with each of you? Definitely. So for me, if if you're really looking to dive further into the infertility talk, whether going through it yourself or as an, a leader, um, email is a great way to get in touch with me. So jamie at jamiemartincoaching.com. Okay. Do you have a website too? I mean, the I latest do. one. Great. Yeah, let's uh, give that. And I'll tell you why is I no longer am putting email addresses in the show notes. Yeah, per nice. Apple. Yeah, Apple's actually. Oh, that's right. Apple said no more of that because we got too many, too many hacking, scraping going on. That makes sense. Jamiemartin.com. Uh, jamiemartincoaching.com. Excuse me, jamiemartincoaching.com. And Christy, it is a real pleasure to meet you. And uh, how, how, how can we get in touch with you? I mean, I know how to get in touch with you. But. <laughs> you too, John. Such a pleasure to meet you. And I've actually went back and listened to some um, other podcast episodes. Highly recommend um, people listening to the one on breakdowns and breakthroughs. There were some notes in there I listened to that applied even to this conversation, I thought. Um, but you can get in touch with me on LinkedIn. I'm under Christy Huber, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E, H-U-B-E-R, um, also available to chat anything marketing or running related with you. And this was such a fun conversation. Yeah, that's great. And I really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, everybody for watching or listening. Probably going to do both. And uh, you can always get a hold of me at whathasmyattention.com which is sponsored by the podcast company, Imagine Podcasting, because you have something of value to say. Mm -hmm.